All right. I think it's time, right? What time is it? I think the Holy Spirit's leading me. I've eight, oh, no, I'm on time. All right, guys, let's get started. Um, we'll pray, and then uh, it'll be great. All right, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, you've given us a model of life in the Holy Family of Nazareth. Help us, O loving Father, to make St. John another Nazareth, where love, peace, and joy reign. May it be deeply contemplative, intensely Eucharistic, and vibrant with joy. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. The uh, several announcements. Confession again this Wednesday before today. Prayers before today. Prayers five fifteen to six fifteen. Do thank you for everybody who's participating in the great gift of absolution. I encourage everyone else to. All right. I also too take a look at the Christmas schedule. I don't know if you guys know this, but Christmas is in a week, in spite of the fact that it's forty some degrees outside. Back to the today. Uh, dinners. Thank you so much for everyone who's setting up for those and getting the food ready and cleaning up. Uh, I don't, you know, yes. Because I know everyone does it for the accolades. So now, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, hopefully whoever helps and participates understands their kind of place in the whole tapestry of Wednesday evening because all of Wednesday evening it's it's all together like there's this everything is beautiful because everything works together so from the setting up of chairs and tables to ordering the meals to you know prepping the meals to serving the meals to uh, you know obviously prayers and those who serve in singing Prepping the candles, the uh, cleaning up the candles. <laughs> By the way, I, I, I think everyone learned to push down the little thing this last week, so that praise be to God. Um, to then uh, you know, cleaning up the upstairs and putting everything away, and you know, all the, without one of those, things suffer. And you probably can't put up with it. Oh, okay, well, you know, it didn't go well this week, okay. But if you, you know, you do it three weeks in a row, you're kind of like, do I want to do this again? I don't know. It becomes a bother. Nobody comes to church to be bothered. Right? I mean, no one comes to church to be bothered. I want to make sure that's like, if you're coming to church to be bothered, go to the DMV. Okay. <laughs> Is there anybody who works at the DMV? Oh, I have to admit, though, I love the reservation system. It's way better. Even though it's hard to get a reservation, it's, it's very nice. Anyway, so big thanks to setting up uh, to Zeg. It, it's, just, uh, it's a wonderful evening. It, on a personal level, you know, I love seeing, you know, the children. I love seeing everyone just laughing and having a wonderful time together. It's beautiful. And what happens up here then is just simply extended and kind of cascades down the stairs into our prayers together. It's, uh, it's beautiful. Okay, pay attention to the Christmas schedule. And then 
I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. So this is just coincidental. But in the new year, I, wanna, I want everyone to start thinking about how you, know, you can participate in the life of children here at St. John. We have a lot of opportunities on Sunday morning, from helping out in the ark, to teaching Sunday school, to even help support in confirmation and high school Bible study. Some of you might be thoroughly afraid of that, but I, I greatly encourage to contemplate and pray about it because there are a lot of great opportunities for that. And just on a practical level, it does not require you to miss all your adult Bible study on Sundays. We, we have a really nice, wonderful way of handling uh, serving on Sunday morning that, um, you know, helping out just a couple weeks or three weeks or four weeks, and then uh, you're back at adult Bible study. So, you know, we have like 30 Bible studies, 30-some Bible studies, you know, you can maybe give up three of those. Or you can work behind the scenes. Um, and we have a lot of great volunteers who are already doing it, but there's always more to do. And, and if we have more volunteers who are generally interested in, in caring for the life of the children, then it just more things can be done, and it's just a beautiful thing. Uh, so anyway, so think about that. Not as a New Year's resolution, though. Just, just so happens to be speaking about that. Uh, if you have any questions about that, you're welcome to shoot me an email and give me a call during the week. Yeah, again, that, that's because if you know, something suffers, everybody suffers, but when it all works together, it's a beautiful thing. All right, the, uh, just review from last week. We, we, we kind of finished up uh, you know, spiritual parenthood, spiritual fatherhood, motherhood, and there's kind of two fundamental truths about those. And the first one we talked about was last week, and that is humanity is called to live in truth and love precisely by uh, divine service, catechesis, that, that's a big fancy word for learning God's word, and then prayer. That's like, a, that's like our first step in... Um, our life together. The, the other thing, too, is that just, you know, an, an educator, so a little bit of tangent back to the previous announcement, an educator is a person who, who really kind of begets in a spiritual sense, like is a parent, right? So when you serve in, like let's say you serve in Sunday school, you're, you're, you're acting as a, as a parent, spiritual parent to these children, right? So that might be enriching for some of us. All right, the next thing, and this is what we're going to talk about today, is that everyone finds fulfillment in the sincere gift of self, right? So we go back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve's destiny was to give themselves to each other because that mimics the Holy Trinity and them giving, so Father, Son, Holy Spirit in relationship to one another, giving themselves to one another. And so, how do we do that? Um, well, it's through witness, mercy, and tithing, or sharing, and we'll get to those three things. But before that, we have some foundational ideas. And the foundational idea is just really hospitality. Because the next step in us as a holy family, mimicking Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, is proposing to 
being merciful to and sharing with the world. Okay, so that stems from the reality that every person has absolute dignity in being made human by, by God. You know, I don't think we think about that quite enough, but we have to understand that everybody here is absolutely unique, unrepeatable, and irreplaceable. And because of that, everyone has this kind of, uh, um, well, basically everyone's a gift. I mean, this is an unusual thing for us to contemplate because the world tries to get rid of our uniqueness and tries to make male and female kind of, you know, interchangeable. And so it, it erases a lot of these things. But the church, of course, is proposing to the world being merciful to the world and sharing with the world because of this absolute dignity. And because of that, we also understand that everyone is destined by God to be a fully alive human, which, again, is not something we contemplate you know, in, in its entirety. Because we think being fully alive just means not dying. But, you know, you ever ask a, a depressed person who might have, you know, low cholesterol and you might not have high blood pressure, are they fully alive? Well, no, of course not, because uh, I'm depressed. So we have to understand being a fully alive human is our destiny. God made us to be fully alive. And how we're fully alive is in living in relationship with him. How we do that here on earth is through the divine service, through God's word, and through prayer. But that has a destiny then to also go out of us, receive and out. So, and that's precisely what our mission is. This is what mission is in the church. Mission is proposing, being merciful and sharing. And that then brings something greater than ourselves. So missions, mission is never turned in ourselves. So this is something too, as we contemplate our life together as a holy family, the things at St. John are they, are they, while we receive and are blessed by them, are they meant to be turned in or are they meant to be turned out? And that has to be a serious question as we think about our life together and the things we do at St. John. So um, I think last week I mentioned, I might tell you a story about a, a woman from Texas. Did I mention? I think I ended it. Uh, because this is something interesting. Uh, I'll tell you two stories. Um, this one was interesting because I, I think I raised the idea of having a family for the world is, is one of the most like, uh, countercultural things you could do. Be married to someone of the opposite sex and have more than three children is like something very unusual. Maybe not a Wheaton, but um, you go throughout... You go throughout out the world and leave our, our, our kind of proximity, it's, a, it's an unusual thing. And so because it's so unusual, it raises the question like, why? Why would you do that? Or even worse, judgment. And this is the story from this woman in Texas. She, she, they, they have several children in their family. She's younger than me. And uh, the, you know, she has a child who's married, and she's a grandma already. She married young, but her and her husband, thriving relationship, all this stuff. Really nice, really nice story. Okay, great. But she's in the grocery store, or Costco. I, I can't remember where she's at. She's at a store. 
And she's got all her kids. And she probably has five or six of them. And she's just, they're just, you know, minding their own business, doing their thing. And someone comes up to her and says, excuse me, are these your children? And she said, yes, absolutely. Her initial thought was, what did they do? <laughs> so she was very empathetic towards this person who was asking her about her family. Well, she then went to say, you know you're using up all the Earth's resources. Well, that is very serious. And, um, and, you know, didn't said also, too, you know, do you understand that there's, uh, you know, it's too many mouths. I mean, it was just really kind of strange. So I think the person probably talking to her was maybe needed the love of Jesus and needed to be set free by the Holy Spirit. However, the, the reason why I bring this up is because at the table, I had several, there were several other people at this table who commiserated with her. I was shocked. I was like, what? And they were from all over. Northeast, out west, Midwest, they were in, I was in Pennsylvania. So, I was like, what are you talking about? Just, what? And they said, yeah. And I said, but that, that has to do with like, you're just, you are, you're living your life, you're, you know, you love your family, you're having kids. Yeah, but every one of the, every one of these, it was three, three, um, spouses, they were, we were at a class together, so none of their spouses were with them. So it was these three kind of families that commiserated with her. So four families at this table, and me, we were sharing uh, dinner, and it was all about like politics and like this, your life in the world, and they, and to a T, they all said, well, we had a chance to share Jesus with each one of these people. Because the motivation behind their decisions was Jesus. It wasn't like, I mean, it was, it, was, it was a fascinating thing for me. So that was the first experience where I realized having a family is a, a political statement in the world. Something I'd never considered. But now then, as you know, of course, this was several years ago, and now as I live my life, I see it all over the place. Uh, whether it be, just, I mean, just watch the news, okay? So this is the thing is that as we talk about living as a family in the congregation, one of the most powerful witnesses to a world that doesn't know what a family is, is by living by, by, living by uh, like a joyful family together. By far, the most powerful witness that we can do is live a joyful life as a family together here at St. John. Because people will say, what's up? Or they might accuse us of something like these people that I was having dinner with. But both of it, it attracted something. And that was kind of the interesting thing in all these stories is that people came up to them. So it's a fascinating thing to think about as our life together and as we talk about these three things, about making a proposition, being merciful, and then sharing our, our, our things together. All right, so... Well, yeah, so I talk about this. So in our Western society, there's probably too, there's not enough, there's too little human life in our, our lives together. And this is why we're all here together, because whether you're, you live by yourself or you have a family of, you know, 30 people in your house, when I say family, you know, I guess no one has 28 kids, but, you know, you have, you know, 10 kids, 
or you're by yourself, when you come to church, when you are in the church, we are all family. And then that, that characterizes our life together. And I talk about the logic of the good or the logic of the gift and how when God, who's good, good by its nature goes out, just by love by its nature goes out. Has anyone ever seen, I mean, has anyone watched Elf yet this year? And saw Buddy, right? I'm in love and I don't care who knows it. He got to get out. So good is the same thing. These are all the same trajectory. So good has to get out of itself. It cannot turn in on itself. It has to give out. So God is good, and so it needs to get out. Who does it get out to? Well, us. That same goodness lives in us, and it, and it must get out. So it goes, you know, mine, yours, ours. This is kind of the logic of the gift. And when you put a bunch of his and hers together who have that same logic, now you have a civilization of love, and you have a congregation that is mimicking the Holy Family. That is the grounding principle then of our, of our kind of our culture within St. John, our life together. Because when, that, when the church, when we engage in that, we are answering kind of the, one of the fundamental human questions about what it means to be human. Because when good goes out, and it, it's given to another, and that other gives to another, and there is this life together, then it answers this question about, it's not good for man to be alone. The church's mission is to share the gospel, which sets humanity free to live fully as male and female. That goes back several weeks ago. Or another phrase, the church humanizes humanity by the gospel. This is, this, is, this is important for us because the world isn't asking who is God, if there is a God. The world is really asking what does it mean to be a human? And I, I, I think they're asking all three of those questions, by the way. But I think the primary question is that third one. What does it mean to be a, a person? What does it mean to be human? And the church has, a, that is like in our wheelhouse because we just have to live as God has bid us to live. How does that happen? Well, how do we share then this? How do we, how do we you know, live this way? Well, that's by the, our primary intention has to be hospitality in all its forms, from, you know, opening the doors here at St. John, but also opening our hearts. And when we do that, then we are listening to the pleas of our neighbor. You know, because our neighbor can tell us a lot of things about their broken heart, whether it's under the cover of anger or the cover of shame or the, under the cover of even hatred. There is something going on in that person. And if we, are, we just take the time and we bear the burden of suffering, you know, whatever they are, the attacks of, you know, they, how they hate Christians or... How, you know, if you have a large family, uh, you're going to take the Earth's resources away or something like that. If you look, if you listen to those concerns, we get down to the heart of what is happening for these people. And then we can actually then, like, find real things to do to kind of welcome them into 
this place, because this place is their primordial home. The church is the primordial home. This is our family together, because the church is the witness to life before sin, and it's the calling to life after sin that all happens within this place. And that only happens if we are hospitable towards our neighbor. And I, you know, I list uh, Romans chapter 12, Hebrews 13, 1 Peter 4. You sh- I encourage you guys to go read those because um, they're all in sections about dealing with living in the world. And this is precisely what... So the church actually imitates Jesus by sharing his love and welcoming the neighbor in need. And that's what he says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. Whoever gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he should not lose his reward. That, that's actually a larger tapestry of verses in Matthew chapter 10. And then it's picked up again in Matthew 18, where Jesus is challenging his listeners, his, the crowd, so it's not just the 12 apostles, but it's, it's like everyone, how to care for the least and the lowly. And Jesus used children. He uses children. He uses husbands and wives. And those are all what? Family. I mean, so he uses the family as a a tool for us to understand how we then reach out into the world. All right, so I got, a, I got this painting, Nigerian painting here. I have two Nigerian paintings in this. The first one, unfortunately, well, no, this, it's good. I didn't want to steal from the internet. So this is actually a screenshot of a video that I own. But I encourage everyone to look up the, you should look at the wider, you got most, so you got like 95% of the image. What's beautiful about this, this is a, a Christian artist in Nigeria who, it's, it's called the Concord of Hope. And the primary thing about this is that there are several faces. I think there's six faces in these. And you can tell that they're distinct, but at the same time, they're all connected. And so the hope for the world is through this communion. Uh, so, again, the artist isn't explicit saying there's a mother and a father, you know, but I take this as a little family. But if you look at all, we're not going to, you, you spend time looking at it, you'll figure it out. But the thing is, is that part of these, you have them together, but they're separate. And so you could see them as becoming, like, joining together or living together, or yet through a couple people, so like this one could be joined to this one, but this one might not be joined to this one without this one. It's this tapestry of community that, again, the title is hope. All right, so we have, we have this, rea- so some of these people are together, but some of them are not. But the hope is through these others that they will be together. And so that's precisely our hope when we think about missions in church. Missions, going out, doing what we are meant to do. The first thing is witness, and that is proposing to the world. So I have two fundamental texts. We're not going to read them, uh, but the prodigal son and Mark chapter 9, 30 through 1031, which that's a large section. In that section, Jesus 
starts with a, a teaching on, on marriage, then deals with spiritual parenthood, then deals with, if you want to be a disciple, you got to be like a little child, and then defending the family. It's a beautiful little thing. But, so, so that is how we understand kind of our life together and proposing to the world. Obviously, the spirit of the prodigal son, right, is what happens. Somebody leaves, right? Not only leaves, but renounces. And the family, primarily understood by the father, the prodigal's father, right, is waiting for the child to show up. Waiting for the lost one to show up. And so that's precisely how we see the world. We're in, we're, we are taking on that same fatherhood, because Ephesians chapter 4, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 16, all parenthood comes from the fatherhood of God. And as we, whether we are uh, adoptive parents, biological parents, or spiritual parents, this is how we look at the world. We see these as children of God, and they're meant to be here. All right. So those are two foundational texts. All right. Now, our Father who art in heaven, what does this mean? Luther's small catechism. I find Luther very, very wonderful when it comes to family. He's got so much language on family, and he can't talk about God without family. This is one of the beautiful things here, because his understanding of the fatherhood of God is understood right here in the explanation. With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father and that we are his true children, so that with all boldness and confidence we may ask him as dear children, ask their dear father. So God, his stance towards his children is tenderness and an invitation or, or proposing. He doesn't force himself, but he proposes, he invites, and he does this tenderly uh, without any coercion. Why is that? Well, we can read from the foil or the flip side of this. Is that because there's a certain level of boldness and confidence in God that he's God and we're not? And so if that's true, if God is God and we are not, he then is, he is not afraid to approach his lost children, but is in fact excited to approach them precisely as lost children. Like he desires them to be with him. And so he has all confidence and boldness. He's like, this is, this is it. We see the same idea in 1 Peter chapter 3, where we're never ashamed and we're always ready to give witness to the hope that's in us. And I'll go back to that story from those people in Texas. They, they didn't have to learn a program. They didn't have to argue about who God was. They didn't have to, I mean, what, those are all very positive things. But I think some of us are probably intimidated by learning all the proofs of God. And I, can't, I don't know how to do that with somebody who might trick me. No, no, no. Okay, great. All they did was they talked about how God loved them and how that love is precisely exemplified or portrayed in their family. So if we understand witness in terms of just talking about how God has loved us and how he is 
creating this family, then that becomes a much uh, richer and a much more kind of real thing for each one of us because we're here, we're, we're in this moment. And again, this isn't, so the idea of witness is not just a pastor's thing, it is precisely everybody's. Because you all have a calling in life, right? We, we have our callings, and we all have our callings as either child, or you know, son or daughter, husband, wife, you know, mother, father. Those are our primary callings, our familial callings. And then we have these other callings where you know, it could be, uh, well, as Martin Luther talks about, it could, you could be bishop or you could be milkmaid um, and everything in between. But within those each callings, you have this witness to God's life in, in you. And then how, you, so you, you have these places where you then bring out the light of Christ into that world. And, and of course, in the past, we talked about finding your spot and working it. This is all, this is all very similar. But it's, it's understood then in terms of how the witness is God's love and forgiveness to create family. Okay, I think we're going to, let's just uh, skip down here. Well, hmm. I, I, you know, here's the thing. I, I really want to stress how uh, family is, is more than we maybe think about it as. Uh, and so, yeah, let's just maybe not skip down. So dwelling upon the fundamental priority of God's love expressed in the cross and resurrection, right? Where the bridegroom loves the bride, where he is uh, creating his family, you know, like what he said, behold your mother, behold your son. And how the family then is constituted by that sacrificial love, that cruciform love. And then by that is a permanent reminder of that same love. St. John as a type of holy family overcomes, and this is important, the allure and ultimately shallowness of perceived advances in society in order to participate in God's creative love. I mean, this is really important because we, we might give lip service what's the most important thing in life. Faith, family. Well, that's true. How has your decisions in life actually confessed that? How has your life given witness to those things? Because we have to really kind of think about, like, what are our pursuits in life? And even with all the advances in technology, are we, are we living more like a family? This is, this is a serious question, so, and I, I really don't know the answer to this. But I, we really need to actually contemplate this. And then if it's not, that's a challenge then for us, whether it be individually or corporately, to then reorient ourselves so that we are able then to make a proper confession of the gospel. So in order to listen to other people's deepest desires to communicate Jesus to them, we have to maybe listen to ours and be honest with ourselves to the point that we might have to confess sins. But praise be to God, Jesus forgives us. It's precisely the prodigal son. Bruce. Question for you. The world is, is, is pushing, you know, parents and, and them inward, you know. Yep. They, they, technology, you can do everything without family. 
and, and the world sees a couple without children as good. What do you say to someone that is a, a family of just a husband and a wife who have been trying for years to have children? Yeah, great question. How do you get them to come to the family of the church? Yeah, great question. One of them has had a bad oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, okay. So let's, let's deal with the first part. So yeah, infertility, let's just, you know, right. Okay. This is really important for us because even every, every child is a gift from God. That means you have no ownership. So whether I birth my children or I, I didn't, they both belong to God, right? So on a certain level, we are spir primarily spiritual parents to children. But we do have, I mean, obviously God gave some, those children to a particular couple, right? But those are not mine insofar as they're exclusive to God's calling in their life or the purpose. Okay, so if that's true, then that then allows a, an infertile couple then to take on that same parental stance towards children so that then they can practice being a father and a mother in a particular way. Okay, great. Where does that happen? I mean, that happens primarily in the church, but, you know, theoretically it could happen at the Taekwondo class, you know, where, a, you know, a, someone mentors a younger person. Those are all uh, aspects of being a father or a mother. Okay, but now your second question, what do you say to someone who's been hurt by the church? Ooh, all right. That, has, that, that wound has to be healed. But without knowing exactly what the wound is, that's why you have to listen to that wound and acknowledge it. So, you know, I mean, uh, it could be the church is judgmental. All that, you know, I, I've been uh, pushed away by the church because I've never, I've never received forgiveness from anything. I've always been judged. Okay, that, that's a hard thing. Okay, read, read into that. What, so why is it hard? Well, because they do want forgiveness. They do want reconciliation. And so you, if you're in that person's life, you are the living witness. Now that could take time, and that's going to take uh, a, a amount of time, practically speaking. Maybe not. The Holy Spirit can do whatever. But the other thing, too, though, is that you have to take on, then, also a spiritual parental role in that person's life as a loving father in your particular instance because you're a guy. But again, those, those you know, just a practical thing, if the wound's been there for 20 years, it might take 20 years to overcome it. But that's the role of suffering in our Christian life and, and patience with these people and understanding that they are the way they are because someone sinned against them. Not always, though. I mean, it, it sounds like in your, the, your example, that's exactly the way it is. And then, and then encouraging this couple to then obviously forgive whoever, whatever's happened. Because there's no, there's no way forward harboring that animosity, right? So they have to acknowledge those, those kind of three things. But this is the great thing, too, then, because adoptive parents are really examples for all parents because those who, who engage in adoption have a, have a child that's theirs, right? 
but yet they didn't birth it. But it's theirs because God gave it to them. All right? I have four children. I did not birth them. Holly birthed them. But they are primarily God's, and he gave them to me. I do have responsibilities, but all, and then you have spiritual parents, where you have these children in your midst, and God gave them to you. All three, you have this God giving them to you. And you have a calling then to act as parent or loving parent, precisely as the prodigal son's father. Yeah. Thank you. All right, so then, that, uh, good question, Bruce, because now we have to practice mercy in this. So you go from making this proposition to the world that this is the place for them, giving witness to the love of Christ, exempted on the cross and resurrection, and then now you have this opportunity then to engage them in mercy. Again, I, I, I Mark chapter 9, but then also, too, I bring in the freedom of the Christian by Martin Luther, specifically three paragraphs. If you're, if you're really into this, I, but this is one of the greatest things that Martin Luther's ever, I mean, I love it. It's, it's, it's amazing. I encourage everyone to read it. So th this is behind these three, th th this thing. So, um, okay, great. So love is always a demanding love. While th this sounds hard and difficult, it's precisely the source of its beauty. If love is easy, it's not beauty. It's not beautiful. What did Jesus do to show us his love? He died on the cross. That is a demanding love, but that is precisely why it's beautiful. So when we engage in mercy, we have to understand there will be certain demands in our lives, but not demands that are, demands that are unnatural or, or, or foreign to our life. They're, they're only foreign because of sin, they're not foreign because this isn't the way God made us. God made us for mercy. And so, through the forgiveness of sins and enlivened by faith, then we practice mercy. And so, I really want to think about like, this idea of like, demanding love and how it's beautiful. I, I, would, I would show this in a, uh, I don't know, I'm a guy, so... I think I mentioned Band of Brothers in a men's Bible study, right? Did I do it in, in, in here yet? Okay. Both. Excellent. I, I just, it, it's just like, it's just so ingrained in my life. I, I would use my basketball career as this too, but that seems to fall short for some people. <laughs> but this idea of living in a community that requires something out of me, striving to Give it, failing and succeeding, and at the end, becoming so close to one another. And that's why I really like sports, because you are engaged in something that takes you beyond yourself, and you have, if you have a quality coach, who will actually challenge you to go outside of yourself, make demands on yourself, and when you fail, to use the church language, he would forgive you, and he would pick you up, but he would not demand less of you. He would continue to push you. And then if you get a group of these people together doing this, and then relying on one another, and giving to one another, 
And at the end, you're like, these are, these are my people. These are my friends. This is my family. And it's a beautiful thing. So this is precisely our stance then as we practice mercy. We know this is demanding. We know this is hard. But yet we do that precisely because it's beautiful and we share God's love and the end result is something that you know, changes their lives. And of course, the life of the people that we are merciful to. Again, this is how Jesus talks in the Gospel of John. Did I John? Did I, I don't know, hopefully I put John 15 there. But anyways, that's from John 15. Yeah. We're running out of time, so I'm going to skip down. I, I, hopefully, did I, I put these three little paragraphs from Feeding of the Christian in there? You read them, meditate upon them, love them, memorize them. The last thing is sharing, building a community. That, we're going to talk about money, so that's part of it. So everyone has their spot in the family. No one simply takes from the family. And that's because we believe that you have something to give. So it's gospel, not because, hey, you've got to pull your weight around here. That's law. We actually believe you have something to give in the family, and that's why we, we ask you to give. Of course, whether it's your money, whether it's your time and effort, teaching Sunday school, all the things I just mentioned earlier. When it co- so this is also, too, this is an interesting thing. When your family is built, real built, and I, I use children metaphorically here in this one statement, when it comes to being a type of family, lots of children tend towards sharing. You think about it, well, that, of course that's true. If you have a bunch of people around, they have to share. And when one doesn't share, the whole group suffers. So how we apply that? Well, first of all, that's actually a good thing because it, having people around to share to it breaks us out of ourselves. And, and I, I, did I put the business comments in there? I have my teaching. Did I say how many businesses were created because someone wanted to provide for the family? Okay. That, this is a great analogy. Think about how many people started a business to provide for their family. Not to get rich, not to get the, the Porsche or the big house, but simply to provide their, for their family. How many risks were taken because parents wanted to provide a future for their children? What were they willing to do? They were willing to give 10%. They were willing to give even more. If we understand ourselves as family, then this, this, this is the character of how we understand sharing money. Is that, and I think I told you the story about my, our, our children, right? When they're always surprised that they get to order. Did I tell you about the Billy Howenstein's rule? Okay. I got a lot of stories with the kids. The Billy Howenstein rule. Hopefully Eric is listening. I'm very proud of his son. Billy Howenstein. They were members, the Howenstein family were here, they, they moved to Indiana, okay. Billy Howenstein, when he was a middle schooler, I, I had a rule, hey, order whatever you want. You know, I just, just kind of, whatever, okay. Well, Billy Howenstein, one time after intertubing at Villa Olivia, we went to some cafe out there, and he ordered three entrees. Hey, Billy, what are you doing? You said I could order whatever I want. <laughs> okay, all right. He didn't even eat one of them. I was like, oh, it's too many crickets. Ay, ay, ay. So uh, I made him take them home, you know, which I have no idea what happened to him. 
Okay, that was one time. Next comes around Camp Arcadia uh, the following year. So he's a seventh grader now. And we are driving up and we stop at the Burger, I think it was Burger, some fast food restaurant. Order whatever you want. Okay. Billy, he orders like five things. Oh, I'm growing. I'm on the cross country team. I got to eat up. He maybe ate one of them. I was like, that's it. We're instituting the Billy Howenstein rule. <laughs> you can order whatever you want, but you have to eat whatever you order or else Pastor Nelson will order for you. That is the Billy Howenstein rule. And, but the thing is, though, is that every child, new child that comes along from Sunday School to Confirmation says, is that true? I can order whatever I want? I said, yes, as long as you eat it. Okay. This is really, really fun for boys, by the way. <laughs> so we go to Culver's, and they order the combo, and then they order the shake, and then sometimes a little custard come. And they look at me like, is that okay? I'm like, all right, listen. They eat it all? Fantastic? Great. Never mention it. What freedom to experience this? How do they experience that? It's because you all shared things. So this is the thing. You're providing for your family, for kids that maybe you don't even think about, but they're your children. But then you apply that on every level here, is that we all, when we tithe and we share, we are able then to do things that we would not be able to do on our own, to live together in a much richer, wonderful thing. Where we're really asking ourselves, is that true? Can we, can, can we really do that? Well, yeah, of course we can. Because we're this together. So the opposite, and then, we'll, then we're out of here, is that selfishness in all its forms is directly and radically opposed to the civilization of love. And this is obvious. Miserliness breaks family, while good stewardship grows families. That's just, it's true. And it ha it's going to be for your household, and it's going to be for St. John. But the opposite is, this, is, is true then, too, where tithing now becomes a witness against the pessimism of the world that it's only for me. I got to get my own because no one else is going to get it for me. That mentality is antichrist. It also then is a witness against selfishness that the world is, in fact, abundant and not scarce, and that God has more for us than we could, in fact, imagine. All right. Let's pray, and we're out of here. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.